to Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon podcast class. This is class number two, entitled, Jesus in the Book of Mormon, Part 1. So let's start with a bird's eye look at the Book of Mormon. What does the Book of Mormon teach about Christ? And then we'll just kind of zero in. I don't think we'll get to atonement tonight. Um, I love the New Testament because it reveals the events of the atonement. We can read about uh, the night, the crucifixion, the morning, but you cannot teach the doctrine of the atonement in the New Testament. So we'll get to the doctrine of the atonement probably next week. But I want to start today with bird's eye look. Let's, because this is a topical approach, we can look at the Book of Mormon kind of as a a wide, what are the main contributions of the Book of Mormon to helping us see and understand the role of Christ. So I want to start on the title page, the very, very beginning, the title page, which incidentally was on the last leaf of the gold plates. So find this page. Okay, this one. So last leaf of the gold plates, which I presume means it was written by Moroni, the last thing he included on the gold plates. And it's a summary. And so he kind of talks about the different sets of plates. But then Moroni, one of the authors of the book, gives us a here's why we wrote it. How many conversations do you think Mormon and Moroni had about why they were writing this? How many times did his dad talk about the why? And what was the point? I can imagine Mormon comes home after a day of abridging. And what do you do at dinner time? You tell stories, right? Guess what I read today? Guess what I, I mean, can you imagine growing up in Mormon's home and hearing? And so clearly Moroni knew why his dad wrote the book. And he includes three main reasons that they wrote the book. Number one, it was written to show the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for your fathers. Now, what's the assumption here? We have to buy into this. If he did good things for them, he will do good things for me. And I think that we've got to buy into that. He didn't, lo- he didn't love them any more or less than he loved you. And if he did good things in their life, he's going to do good. So everything we're about to study that he did for them, you need to trust that he will and wants to do it for you. He doesn't have favorites. So he did good things for them to show what good things he will do for you. Next, what else? Why do else do we have a book? We need to know the covenants. We need to know how to get Christ into my life. What are the covenants? And they knew that the Bible would be stripped. So we've got to restore the covenants. So after that summary, God's going to do good things in your life. And here are the covenants you need to be like Christ. What's the one of the main purposes of the book? Now, here's my problem. We don't finish the sentence. I've heard this sentence quoted so many times in my life and rarely do people finish it. I love that it says the book was written to convince Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ. 
But 90% of the time, we stop right there. Am I right? How many times have you heard people stop right there? That the purpose of the Book of Mormon is to convince Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ. And that's fair. But it doesn't stop there. The purpose of the Book of Mormon is to say that he was the Messiah, but the whole rest of the book is to point out what is he going to do? What does the Messiah do? So let's start at the broadest possible level. The Book of Mormon stands at a testimony that Jesus will do what to all nations. What will he do to all nations? He will manifest himself Now, does the Book of Mormon testify of that? Name the nations in the Book of Mormon. Can you name a nation in the Book of Mormon? Got the Nephite nation. Does he manifest himself to the Nephites in the Book of Mormon? The whole book is the story of him manifesting himself to that nation. Does he manifest himself to the Lamanites? Does the Book of Mormon show that God didn't forget that other nation? The whole book is a story of trying to reclaim them that God will manifest himself to that nation. Who else does the Book of Mormon talk about? Jaredites. Does God manifest himself to the Jaredites? Mulekites? Jews? Gentiles. So, putting these two together, the Book of Mormon stands as a testimony that Jesus will manifest himself to my nation. If I live in North Korea... I have a testimony that Jesus is not going to forget my nation. The Book of Mormon stands as a testimony that he will remember and manifest himself to all nations. Now, the problem is, I'm not a nation. That's a pretty big group, right? So how about we peel off a layer? Let's go smaller than a nation. In the U.S., we would say a state. In the scriptures, we would say something like a kindred tongue or a people. So let's peel off a layer. What does the Book of Mormon say that Christ will do to every people? So now turn to Alma, Book of Alma, chapter 26. Now that's significant. You get to Alma 26 and you tell me what's the setting for Alma 26. Returning missionaries all love Alma 26. Tell me why. What's the setting for Alma 26? Someone want to yell it out? This is the return of the missionaries. And what are they doing? Ammon is rejoicing in what God has done to... Not the whole nation, right? Was the whole nation converted? No. But Alma or Ammon is rejoicing in what God did to a group of people. And he testifies the last verse. Sorry. Alma chapter 26. Last verse. Ammon says, My brethren, we see that God is mindful of every people. The Book of Mormon 
does not tell a story about any group of people where God was not mindful of that people. Do you remember when Alma the elder broke away from Noah and kind of started a group out here? Was God mindful of them? When Zenith went down to the Lamanites, was God mindful of them? Every group of people, he is mindful of every people. Whatsoever land they may be in, yea, he numbereth his people and his bowels of mercy over all the earth. So not only does the Book of Mormon testify that Christ manifests himself to all nations, but what does he do to all people? He is... He numbers. He is mindful. So is he mindful of my people? Is he mindful of the people of your family? Will he manifest himself to every people? So he peeled back a layer and Christ got bigger, didn't he? Every group of people in the Book of Mormon, he is mindful of. Okay, but I'm not a people. So what if we peeled off another layer? What if we got smaller in size? Can Jesus follow us and be mindful of each of the smaller size? What about each person? I'm going to say creature here, but you'll see, and you'll see why. But what if we get down to the individual level? Turn with me to Mosiah 27. Again, that chapter is very significant. Tell me what happens in Mosiah 27. What's the story? Alm, a wicked young man who was the son of the king, and he is causing the church great problems. But he was not forgotten. Verse 30. Alma stands up and testifies. I rejected my Redeemer and denied that which has been spoken of by our fathers. But now that they may foresee that he will come and I testify, my life, the story of Alma the Younger will stand as a witness that what? He remembers every creature of his creating. And I love that he connects it. Now, no way Joseph wrote this. He connects this word which I think suggests what is true of nations is true of people. What is true of people, or sorry, what is true of nations is true of all of this. That we can apply every one of these to me. The Book of Mormon stands as a witness that God remembers me with all my flaws. He, I am not forgotten that he remembers He remembers me. He is mindful of me. And he will manifest himself to me. Name all the me's. Let me just write some individual names on. And you tell me if I could make a case that God should just brush them aside. 
How about Laban's servant, Zoram? Did God remember Zoram and get him to America? Saved him from the destruction? How about Alma, the elder? Could I make a case that the wicked priest of Noah should have been brushed aside by God and struck him down? But the Lord sent Abinadi. How about Alma the younger? Could I make a pretty strong case that God should have just brushed Alma off? How about the four sons of Mosiah? Lamoni. Lamoni's dad. Story after story after story. The Book of Mormon is filled with the lost and wayward being remembered. Does anyone cry out for mercy in the Book of Mormon and not get it? And you could make a case that some of them didn't deserve it. But story after story after story, he remembers every creature. He remembers you. He is mindful of every pain you've ever experienced. He will manifest himself to you. Now, as an illustration, turn to 3 Nephi chapter 11. Let me add another phrase that becomes very significant in the Book of Mormon. When he appears in 3 Nephi, he says, Come forward, that you may feel the nail marks in my hands and in my feet. And so he brought them forward. Now, someone turn quickly to chapter 17, last verse of chapter 17. I just need one person to yell out how many people were there on day one. Jesus comes for three days. 2,500 people. 2,500 souls were there on day one. And the Savior says, everyone come here and let me talk to you. And then this significant verse. Now, I don't know how he pulled this off with the limits of time. But I testify with every ounce of my soul that he is this kind of God. I'm going to start in verse 15. It came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side and did feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did do going forth. Let me break this into two phrases. What kind of God is Jesus of the Book of Mormon? He is a one by one God. He is a one by one. He does not deal with us as a group. He is a one by one. He remembers us one by one. Now, it's great to be a one by one God until he runs out of time and everyone else is just out of luck. Yeah, they got one by one attention, but I, he ran out of time. So notice the second phrase. What's the second phrase? All. Until they all. That's the God that Jesus is. He is a one by one 
until they all. He doesn't run out of time. In fact, he's not in time. The problem with us in understanding our relationship with Christ is that we're in time, and so we assume he is. I love how C.S. Lewis worded it. Let me just quote him briefly. C.S. Lewis said the following. How can God attend to several hundred million human beings who are all addressing him at the same moment? Have you ever felt lost in his universe? I don't know how big your high school was. Anyone feel lost in your high school? That no one really noticed you? There were too many. How can God notice me when there's so many people to notice? How can God attend to several, several hundred million human beings who are all addressing him at the same moment? Notice that the whole sting of it comes in the words at the same moment. Most of us can imagine God attending to any number of applicants if only they came. So I love the one by one God. I love that he's a one by one God. And I, I, I totally get that he's a one by one God. The problem is the until they all side, right? If everyone just comes one by one and he had an endless time to do it, sorry, my battery's dying. I'll just read it from here. Most of us can imagine that God attending to any number of applicants, if only they came one by one and he had endless time to do it in. So what is really at the back of the difficulty is this idea of God having to fit too many things into one moment of time. Our life comes to us moment by moment. One moment disappears before the next comes along, and there is room for very little in it. That is what time is like. You and I tend to take it for granted that this time series is not only simply the way life comes to us, but the way all things really exist. We tend to assume that the whole universe and God himself are always moving on from past to future just as we do. But God is not in time. His life does not consist of moments following one another. If a million people are praying to him at 10.30 tonight, he need not listen to them all in that one little snippet of which we call 10.30. Because 10.30 and every other moment from the beginning of the world is always present for him. How long can he stay in 1030? An infinity, an infinite amount of time. 1030 and every moment from the beginning of the world is always present for him. He has all eternity to listen to the split second of a prayer put up by a pilot as his plane crashes in flames. God is not hurried along in the time stream of the universe. He has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. He does not have to deal with us in the mass. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only being he had ever created. Now, I love that he got that idea. I don't know where he got it from, but that's the essence of the Book of Mormon. 
that we believe in a one by one until they all God. You are alone with him in the universe. And he has all eternity to focus on you. That concept is not very widely believed on this planet. But it is clearly taught in the Book of Mormon. I love that it's repeated three times. Because not only is he a one by one here until they all But let's peel back a layer. Let's go smaller. Let's go smaller than a person. Let's go to a little person. Let's go to the group that often gets lost. That if you don't do everything, they're going to get lost because they're just little and they wander. Let's go to the children. Let's look at Jesus and the children. Turn with me to chapter 17, 3 Nephi 17. Oh, my heck. Sorry, I've gone low power mode. That's why. Sorry, let me just get out of low power mode. Okay, 3 Nephi 17. First of all, I know we're getting there. Just bear with me. We've got to see Christ. So how does he char- start chapter 17? How does he start this chapter? I'm leaving, right? It's time for me to go. This is the end of day one. I'll come back for day two, but I'm leaving. Now tell me what they, none of them, no one wants to say anything. If Jesus says he's leaving, no one just argues with him. But tell me what looks go on their face as soon as Jesus says, I'm leaving. Can you just picture that? You know, you're, I don't dare say anything. But I am crushed that you're leaving. And as soon as he saw that, you've got to read verse 5. It came to pass that when Jesus had thus spoken, he cast his eyes round about again on the multitude. And beheld, they were in tears. And did look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer. But no one dared ask him, right? And he said unto them, My bowels are filled with compassion towards you. Is there anyone sick that I can heal? Is there anyone that I could heal? Bring them hither. See what kind of being he is. So he calls for the children. And watch what he does with the children. Now, remember, how does Heavenly Father emphasize in the scriptures? You can can tell how I emphasize. It's pretty clear how I emphasize with colors and lines and boxes. How does he emphasize? Repetition. Let me show you this again. Let me get this through your thick skull. Because you're not hearing me. I am a one-by-one God. 
So he took their little children one by one. One by one. Now, hold on. Jump to 28. Before he leaves, he's going to talk to the disciples. I'm leaving you guys in charge. I need you guys to handle everything. So how does he talk to his disciples? Go to chapter 28. Tell me what he does. There's 12 disciples. And he takes them all one by one. Can each one, can I just have a minute with you? Now, do you think we can apply until they all? Do you think he did one by one and then ran out of time at nine so the last three were just, okay, I'll just translate you for the, will you just be with on me? No, 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 he didn't run out of time. He is a one by one. He was one by one with the congregation, 2,500. He was one by one with the children. He was one by one with his disciples. Now, going back to chapter 17, what did he do one by one? What did he do? We got to notice both of them. Tell me what he does one by one. Jesus blessed each child. Are you one of his children? Does Jesus have a blessing for you? Does Jesus have a blessing for you? And what's the second thing he does? He prays unto the Father. I need to put a picture in your head. I need you to see Jesus praying to the Father one by one for you. He is not rushed. How long does he talk to God about you? I would love to listen in on that prayer, wouldn't you? What would it do to your soul if you heard Jesus who has a prayer and is asking the, the Father to grant you a blessing? Is he asking for all of us? Is he praying for us? That's not what the book teaches. He blesses and prays for. That's the God of the Book of Mormon. He knows you. He is mindful of you. He remembers. He will manifest himself. He has a blessing for you. And you are alone in the, will, in the universe with him. That's the God of the Book of Mormon. Now, let's see it in the first chapter. Turn with me to 1 Nephi chapter 1. 1 Nephi chapter 1. I love this. Go to verse 11. Tell me what happens to Lehi in 1 Nephi chapter 1. Verse 11.
Liam? Okay, do you see the symbolism? The Book of Mormon. We're opening the Book of Mormon, and it starts with a vision of someone being handed a book and opening a book. You get it? I am Lehi. And the book that I'm opening is the Book of Mormon. So Lehi was handed a book and told to read it. Open the book and read it. Open the book that you've been handed. Now, a promise. Verse 12. Here's the promise. If you will read, what did the Spirit tell him and what is true for you? Open the book and read and you'll be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Just open the book. Just read the Book of Mormon and you'll be filled with the Spirit. Now, what he does next is to give us a handful of look-fors. Let me tell you what to look for in the Book of Mormon. So verse 13, tell me what my book, as I open up my book, what is my book going to teach me? Warnings of destruction. The Book of Mormon is full of warnings of destruction. We'll talk about pride. Pride is going to destroy you, so we're going to warn you about pride. Secret combinations are going to destroy you, so we're going to talk about secret combinations. We're going to talk about how Satan will tempt you. Satan, the brilliance of the Book of Mormon is it's going to reveal how Satan tempts. How Amalekiah becomes king of the Lamanites? Are you kidding me? That's how Satan does it. The book is full of warnings, and we're going to pay attention to those warnings. Now, if you keep reading, what else is the book full of? Great and marvelous things that will cause you to cry out and say, God is so great. He is so merciful. And if you read the book, like Lehi read his, what conclusion will you come to? What conclusion will you come to as you read your book and get the Spirit? That you are not alone. And that He is going to help you. I love what He says here. Great and marvelous are the works, thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Thy throne is high in the heavens, and thy power and goodness and mercy are over all the inhabitants. And because thou art merciful, thou wilt not suffer those who come unto thee, that they shall perish. And after this manner was the language of my father, and the praising of his God, and his soul did rejoice, and his whole heart was filled. The message of the Book of Mormon is that he is going to preserve you. He is going to help you. He has a blessing for you. He remembers you. He has numbered you. Therefore, of all the things you're going to find, what's the most great and glorious thing that you're going to find? The things which he read in the book manifested plainly of the coming of a Messiah and of the redemption of the world. And then the last verse of the first chapter. I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those who he hath chosen because of their faith to
to make them mighty, even unto the power of deliverance. How many miracles are in the Book of Mormon? Besides salvation, I know salvation is the greatest miracle. But if you read the Old Testament, you'll read parting water, oil multiplying, miracle after dead raising. New Testament talks about evil spirits being cast out, the blind sea. Have you noticed that the Book of Mormon doesn't do that? Like it really doesn't talk about sick people getting healed or blind people receiving their sight. No one walks on the water in the Book of Mormon. The sea doesn't part. In fact, every time there's a miracle in the Book of Mormon, it's the same miracle repeated over and over and over again. Let me throw out some miraculous events of the Book of Mormon, okay? Lehi, or Nephi being preserved from his brethren. Abinadi being preserved from the wicked priests of Noah. The stripling warriors. Samuel the Lamanite up on top of the wall. Almost every miracle in the Book of Mormon, every miracle that I can think of, has what theme? Deliverance. Deliverance. Preserved. That's the message of the Book of Mormon. That Jesus knows who you are. He will manifest himself to you. He remembers. He is mindful of. He is a one-by-one one God. And that his divine grace, his tender mercies, will be filled in your life and help you overcome the challenges that you face. Now, the book's gonna make it clear he doesn't want you to have an easy life, does he? That's not the goal. Easy lives are not his thing. But preservation, that's his thing. I love the Jesus of the Book of Mormon. He is a one by one. It just made me think of the, the scripture, Second Nephi, thirty-one three, where it says, "For my soul delights in plainness, for after this manner not glory." You know where we're going. You know exactly where we're about to go. Look at that. See, I didn't have to take you there. Read it. My favorite word in the Book of Mormon. She's about to read it. Go ahead. One by one, according to their understanding. Now flip to chapter 33, keep going. Verse 6. I glory in that plainness. I glory in truth. And here's my favorite word in the Book of Mormon. I glory in my Jesus. All right, who were the major authors of the Book of Mormon? Who were the major contributors? The people, I mean, I know King Benjamin, but he didn't write the book, right? Who are the major authors of the Book of Mormon? We've got Nephi, we've got Mormon, and Moroni. Now we could add, you know, we could add Jacob. Ether is really who? We could add Jacob, we could add Isaiah, but let's focus on these three. So 2 Nephi chapter 33, verse 6, 2 Nephi 31, 
I know him. In fact, go back to chapter 11. Go to chapter 11, 2 Nephi chapter 11. <coughs> what do, if we do add Jacob, if I say Nephi and Jacob, what do all four of the major authors of the Book of Mormon have in common? So 2 Nephi chapter 11, starting in verse 1. He says, And now Jacob spake many more things unto my people at the, at the time. Nevertheless, only these things have I caused to be written, for the things that I have written sufficeth me. And now I, Nephi, write more of the words of Isaiah, for my soul delighteth in his words, for I will liken his words unto my people, and I will send, for, send them forth unto all my children, for he, Isaiah, verily saw my Redeemer, even as I have. And my brother Jacob also has seen him, even as I have. So Nephi and Jacob had what kind of relationship with Christ? A one-by-one, face-to-face, intimate, personal relationship. I know him. He is my Redeemer. And I invite you to follow him. Now let's do Mormon. Go to 3 Nephi chapter 5. Actually, you know what? Let's start with young Mormon. How about we go Mormon chapter 1? Let's start. We'll come back to 3 Nephi. But go to Mormon chapter 1 verse 15. Tell me what happens to Mormon when he's 15 years old. Mormon chapter 1 verse 15. He was visited. Therefore what? I love the last part. He tasted and knew the goodness of Jesus. He was visited and tasted and knew the goodness of Jesus. Therefore, Mormon's going to say the same thing. Go to 3 Nephi chapter 5. 3 Nephi 5. This is Mormon's declaration. We've got to start in verse 14. No, 13, 14, 14. No, 13. 3 Nephi 5 verse 13. Behold, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I have been called of him to declare his words among his people that they might have eternal life. Now go to verse 20. This is Mormon's version. I am Mormon, a pure descendant of Lehi, and I have reason to bless my God and my Savior. Nephi, Mormon, tasted anew, my Savior. Let's do Moroni. Chapter 12. Moroni, or Ether chapter 12. Let's do Moroni. Ether 12. Such a tender scene, because where's his dad when he writes chapter 12? Where's Mormon when, Ethan, when Moroni writes chapter 12? He's long gone. Moroni's alone. He's struggling. I love chapter 12. If men come unto me, I will show them their weakness. Your weakness is a blessing. Verse 37 must have brought him great peace. It came to pass that the Lord said unto me, If they have not charity, it mattereth not unto me. 
Thou hast been faithful, wherefore thy garments shall be made clean, and because thou hast seen thy weakness, thou shalt be made strong. Even under the sitting down in the place where I have prepared in the mansions of my, my father. And now I, Moroni, bid farewell unto the Gentiles, and also unto my brethren whom I love, until we shall meet before the judgment seat of Christ, where all men shall know that my garments are not spotted with your blood. And then shall ye know that I have seen Jesus and that he hath talked with me face to face and hath told me in plain humility, even as a man telleth another in, his, in mine own language concerning these things. Now Moroni says what? Now I would commend you to seek this Jesus. Do you see what all of those authors have in common? Do you see the greatness of this book? Every one of them presents Jesus as a personal, intimate, He spoke to me. He is a one by one until they all. Now, there's a catch to that. If He is a one by one, he invites you to come and feel and know and then do what? Going back to what we talked about last week, let's end in 3 Nephi chapter 11, the visit of Christ to the Americas. Let's end here. Now next week we'll come back and we'll do atonement. The doctrine of the atonement is taught in the Book of Mormon, but let's end here. So Jesus invites them all to come forth. So let's finish that sentence. Well, let's, let's get to the invitation. Arise and come forth unto me that you may thrust your hands into my side and also that you may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet that you may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth, and hath been slain for the sins of the world. And it came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side and did feel the, nail, the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did, going forth one by one, until they had all gone forth and did. Now this is where I want to circle words. Tell me what words you, cir you, you circle. The invitation is to come to Jesus and, what's the first word? Before feel. Come see. Come to the Book of Mormon and see who he is. Come see. And then, feel. So that you... No. Come see, come feel, come know. And now, what's the last one? Once you have seen who he is, once you know, once you have felt him and know, it is your, now, it is your job now to bear record. 
come see him. Open up the book. Open the book and read it. And you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. And you will see great and marvelous things in it. And when you see them and you feel them and know who he is, now go tell the world who he is. I bear you my solemn testimony of Jesus of the Book of Mormon. The one by one until they all. The one who knows and remembers and is mindful and manifests himself and has a prayer for, uh, has a blessing for and prays for every single one of you. He knows who you are. Come and feel and taste and then go bear testimony. I have come, I have seen, I have felt, I know. Therefore, allow me to bear testimony. I know he lives. One of my favorite authors, Dostoevsky, the Russian author, once said of him, if it could be shown to me that the truth were outside of Christ or that Christ were outside of the truth, I should then still choose Christ over the truth. I've thought a lot about that. If Jesus isn't the Messiah, I'm still following Jesus because no one ever taught or did or acted like he did. If Jesus isn't the Messiah, I'm still following him because that's what a Messiah should be. And I say the same thing after reading the Book of Mormon and seeing who he is and the kind of being and no one is forgotten. I testify. If he wasn't the Messiah, I'd follow him for the rest of my life because no one's better than he is. He is the God of the Book of Mormon. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening. This has been Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon podcast class. This has been class number two, Jesus in the Book of Mormon, part one.